Welcome to Flipping the Script, a podcast for women of color by women of color, helping you to not just navigate your way through change, but to embrace it. I am your host, Michelle Words. Shay Hornsby spent over eight years as a trailing spouse in the Middle East. After returning back to the United States, Shay has reinvented herself professionally, is host of an award-winning podcast, and now sharing her expertise as a career coach. Shay shares with us the pros and cons of living abroad with a family and her repatriation home. Let's get to it. I am not where you want to be, trying to navigate life, but it's hard to see, yeah. I am struggling to make a change, but coming to me now is the perfect chance. With flipping the script, so you'll find your way, to help you embrace any trials you face. With flipping the script, conquer every day, we're helping you find your happy place. Shaylee Hornsby is passionate about people and their career opportunities. Shay specializes in recruiting professionals at all levels within an organization. Her professional experience spans over 20 years in staffing, consulting, oil and gas, energy and diversity and university recruitment. Shay was raised in Dallas, Texas. The world of recruiting found her while a working student and provided a great foundation for her career. She graduated with a business marketing degree from University of Houston downtown in Houston, Texas. After many years of professional recruiting, she left her career and packed up her life to move across the globe to experience an expat life with her husband and son. While living abroad, her life was multifaceted. Within eight and a half years of living abroad, Shay was a stay-at-home mom, a working mom, and proudly delivered her second child while living abroad in Doha, Qatar. Since returning to her home country, Shay has launched the award-winning Cool Careers podcast. The Cool Careers podcast was launched in spring 2020. It is a platform to highlight career journeys from various industry professionals. These digital testimonies allow her viewers to learn and grow as guests offer career knowledge. The podcast is streaming on all platforms and has completed two seasons, received corporate sponsorship and recognition, and even an award for Best Business Podcast of 2021. Shay has returned to Houston, Texas with her family and is working as a recruiting professional. She is an active member of Jack and Jill of America Incorporated. Shay, welcome to Flipping the Script. Thank you, Michelle. You make me sound so amazing. <laughs> love the voice. You have, <laughs> I love your voice. Anyway, thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a pleasure and an honor. You're welcome. Shay, this is what I have not been able to figure out. Both of us lived in Doha at the same time, and we did not meet there. How did that happen? I have no idea, but I definitely remember you. I remember your name, I would say that, in the sense that we were there for about four or five years before um, you started a group. I believe it was your creation to get all of the brown people (laughs) 
together uh, and, and kind of fellowship together. And honestly, before then, we had just met um, the host of brown people that were there. Uh, we had been in this energy bubble for so long, which doesn't, uh, which didn't include a lot of a lot of people that looked like us. <laughs> and so we met some friends, and then they had a connection to all the other people. It's almost like you guys lived in a whole different world than we lived in. Also, it was um, I had to do a lot with people's lifestyles because if you had kids, I would have definitely probably met you. Right. So everything that we were doing kind of evolved around Mason's activities um, and the people and the parents that we hung out with was that. Um, so, yeah, so that is how that happened. And I think somehow whenever you had events, for whatever reason, I wasn't there. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> And my events um, were not for kids for the most part. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think just we were just always traveling or really busy. Um, and then mm -hmm. toward the end, we did venture out without the kids a lot um, and do some things. But then, then, of course, my last year and a half, I was pregnant or caring for a child, right? <laughs> or last, really last True. two years. Right. So, um, so needless to say, I hate that we missed the opportunity, but there there was one function that you, me and you might have been at together that I thought of recently, and we probably didn't know each other. And okay. I know I was sitting by Valerie and her husband, and we were at one of the big hotels, but it was all of the educators and all those people that were in that world. And it was a good, it was a, a farewell party for someone I'll have to think of who it was um uh, but i'll have to show you some of the pictures yes. to see if you were there that day because it was a lot of was. people yeah and it was right a long now, table a, <laughs> okay. a long long table full of people right. um, and i did meet some people that i didn't know most of everyone that was there i didn't know um i just went to jordan with a few ladies that i didn't know i knew amy rollins she yes. invited me and then there were two other ladies that went on the trip as well Alicia Bates mm -hmm. and um, the other young lady who I can picture who was worked at Hamid at the same time I worked at Hamid and I didn't know her at the time and we we you know we all became very friendly and then after that we they invited me to this brunch this farewell brunch and it was a lot of I would say uh, a lot of educators or people that worked in that profession. And that, and you know, everyone that lives downtown or you know in West Bay that we didn't know because we lived in Bellagio area, you know. So, uh, so yeah. So how we were able to cross paths, uh, I you know, and, and you know, kind of like ships in the night, <laughs> right? And yeah. I, and our worlds did not collide at all. It's just so weird. But we met this so way, so this up. is all great. That's right. <laughs> this is good. At least we met finally through yes, now. Yes. yes. <laughs> So um, let's back up a little bit then to your move to Doha. So let's let's talk about pre-moving abroad, Shay. What were you doing before you moved abroad? Before I moved abroad, I had I I was I was still a recruiter. I was a newly married uh, mom. Uh, so I, I just got married and just had a baby. 
So I think basically our year anniversary, we found that we were pregnant <laughs> and then I delivered. And then basically around, I would say six months after I had my first son or around that six to eight months is when we received our offer to, to go internationally. So we knew that we were going about six months before we actually left. So I would say it was very normal, <laughs> a very normal life with friends and family, work and, you know, just life. Um, and then you're given this opportunity, you just pack up and then you go. But it was definitely centered around, you know, kind of forming a new family. I hope that answers okay. your question. But <clears throat> Well, so tell us then, you relocated because of your husband's job, correct? Correct. So was this something that you actively wanted before the opportunity came for him to him or... Did it just kind of fall in your lap? Um, I always was interested in an international opportunity um, in Houston, in uh, this energy market. So, and as a recruiter, uh, you really understand international opportunities. Also, um, my husband had lived, or before he was my husband, when he was just my boyfriend and my fiance, he lived and worked internationally. So we already knew that it was a strong possibility that it was going to happen. It was more or less when it was going to happen, right? Um, and so, uh, so yes, I welcomed it. Um, I didn't know, you know, what our first location was going to be. Sometimes you um, some people go to, you know, not so desirable <laughs> locations. And so they have to kind of, you know, you know, uh, not enjoy them, their life for a while. But, um, but we went to Qatar and we didn't know, I didn't know what that was going to be about, but my husband had worked in the Middle East for years. Um, and, you know, he had a, a, a bit of a better understanding than I did. So it was very fresh and new. So yes, I definitely welcomed it, um, for, you know, myself and for my whole family, I was thinking, you know, my son could, you know, learn a second language and we could travel and do all these things. So we were definitely excited for sure. So did you have any say in the location? No, no. I mean, it wasn't, okay. he didn't really have a say in the location either. It was, a, it was an opportunity. He did interview. He liked the the group. It was like, hey, let's, let's try it. Since he had worked in Dubai and it was very, you know, similar culture. Um, he was like, well, let's let's give it a, ch a chance. It's a three-year assignment. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So, no, okay. we didn't get to choose our location at all. <laughs> but everything happens for a reason because I can't think of any better location, honestly. So how did you adapt to the the new culture, the new lifestyle? Adaptation really is a mindset. Um, uh, I definitely went there with my eyes you know, wide open and, you know, really trying to embrace what this experience was going to be like. It was not easy at all. Doha at the time, it was 2010. Um, and, it, you know, there was no signals yet. There was one signal, one working signal in Doha at the time. All I cannot out. believe that. Yes, in 2010. And they were, <laughs> it, it was it was obvious. There was more that than the one was, when I got there in 2014. But you're right. It was all roundabouts, pretty much. It was, yeah, it was all roundabouts. There was only one signal near Villaggio. And the rest true. of it was all Villaggio. And, and basically, uh, I mean, it was all roundabouts. And it was, the city was in the massive construction. So just going down the street was almost impossible. Um, well, West Bay would, had 
lights. Mm. So I think that was the difference. The area that you were in would have definitely had more roundabouts, but at least like the area where I was in, like the kind of downtown area did have have some lights. Not in 2010. But, no. 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 They had that they might have had one signal right at um, City Center, but no, those were full yeah. of roundabouts too. Yeah, oh, all no. the way through. Uh, yes, yes, I could almost picture it. <laughs> you, you were roundabouts all the way to the Corniche and all the way up, pretty much. Uh, and then, and they had like a small little signal right there at City Center um, in 2010. But it, that, of course, that quickly changed because the, the city changed. Quickly. Oh, yeah. Very, very fast. You would literally go to sleep, wake up, or go to another area, maybe go back the next week, and it's just Hold completely. Yeah, you can't even remember what it looked like prior. Because <laughs> How do I like, get home? <laughs> right, this street's been shut down. <laughs> there was no GPS. Yeah. I actually took around a um, a map with me that I got uh, that I, that I took away out of the uh, uh, Mahabra book. That had that little skinny map in there. Do you remember that? I don't know yes. if you even needed to use yeah. it, but they were everywhere. They was in every car, every purse, because um, you could easily get lost. I didn't drive wow. at the beginning um, because you have to get the driver's license and get all the credentials and stuff. And at first, my husband was like, "Well, you know, they, you know, driving here is a little different, so um, you may not want to uh, drive." Um, uh, so anyway, I didn't really have a choice in the beginning, but, um, yeah, having to have someone drive you and you're afraid of their driving was really, really, um, hard. Um, having a driver or rely on someone else to take you somewhere was, you know, always a little annoying and scary at the same time because, you know, driving uh, risks are a little different <laughs> in the Middle East than at home. So I spent a lot of time in fear, um, you know, having a, a, you know, a two-year-old in the car with me is like, okay, are we going to make it? Um, so I quickly um, gained my driver's license so I could drive myself <laughs> around. Um, and even those things changed uh, to Michelle because um, a few years later, I did, you know, pick up that driving service again because traffic was so bad and people don't have the space yeah. and the uh, they don't really have the space to go fast and drive and zoom in and out because there was so much traffic. So it made more sense to um, have someone drop you so you don't have to worry about parking, um, different things like that. Um, what really helped me adapt was a mom's group there called Doha Moms. And so there was one um, lady there, Roxanne, she was there with Exxon, or she was there with her husband with Exxon, and she created an expat mom group. It ended up being pretty much any North American or Western mom's group to go for anything to know where a grocery store is or do play dates. Uh, and she became quite organized and we all became quite organized in helping to create this expat mom group. And it really did help. At first it was a little annoying, honestly, uh, a lot of, you know, I would say expat mom, you know, um, annoyances and complaints that seemed very trivial. <laughs> so culturally it wasn't necessarily always a fit. Um, but eventually you found a community that kind of, you know, worked, you know, worked for you. Um, and so we also had some military friends, some energy friends. Um, and then as my son um, became a little older and started going to the American School of Doha, um, 
then that kind of opened up uh, another space of, of helping to adapt. Um, so I would say it probably took us about two years to really like it, right? But of course, really? yeah, yeah. The first nine months was probably, you know, in transition from temporary housing to, you know, our uh, long-term accommodation. Um, and then once you get your accommodation, you have to furnish it. Yes. <laughs> and then that took another like six months okay. and um, everything is not the same quality that you're used to. And so you're all upset about, you know, the things you could have brought home. <laughs> and uh, cutter is really expensive, right? So, um, yes. you know, you have to kind of get used to the prices and everything. And um, so anyway, so yeah, it took us about two years to really start really enjoying it. I think in the first two years, we, I think we went home like three or four times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and That's then interesting. Just, yeah, yeah. So we definitely missed it uh, at, the, at the beginning. And then, huh. then it just really started growing on us and we really started really finding friends um, and other people to have fun with, having Thanksgiving with or Friendsgiving. Um, and I would definitely say by th- year three, we really enjoyed it. And so that- I think the difference- yeah. Okay. was having community. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to get back to that when you said mm-hmm. what helped you with your transition was when you would find community. So the Doha mm-hmm. Moms group was one that can help you with, with the transition. And I think because you weren't in in my group. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, yes. What made it you know more difficult. No, I'm not saying because it was my group. But really the reason I started the group was so that we could have some sort of a community and connection with each other, mm-hmm. because that does help with the transition. So that's a point that I want to get across to yes. people that are looking to move abroad, is that you should look for that community really before you move. And so I, I connected with a couple of people before I moved. But what really helped me is I had a friend that already lived there. So at least I had mm-hmm. a person. But yeah. um, but that community is what will really help you through the transition quicker, a lot smoother, you know, help educate you a lot faster. So um, I think that is key um, for maybe the reason why it took you guys a bit longer to acclimate, because I felt, I feel like I felt right into step when I got there, even though I didn't really have that community set up, like I established it pretty early when I moved there so that I was able to create it pretty soon. But um, um, there was another point that you made about that as well. But I, I still, I, I'm trying to remember what it was now. If but only absolutely. you would have arrived in 2010. <laughs> that would have been so that great. Is true. That is true. Yeah, I wasn't I definitely needed you in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by, 20, by 2014, we were, we were full speed ahead. And really when it, you know, goes to the, our, your original point is how we end up not meeting. I think we already had our communities, right? You had yours, I had mine, and they didn't intersect. But we really liked um, that you guys, uh, what you, you know, because I, I remember the post and all the things and you guys had that, um, um, uh, Black Panther, uh, event and I, we really wanted to go there. I think we were out of town that weekend, but anyway, it oh, was, no. yeah, yeah. We wanted to, to go to that. So anyway, <laughs> I remember that little things you remember. <laughs> yes. That was a highlight. I mean, that was, that event was phenomenal. So yeah, it, it was beyond my expectations. Yeah, sure. it looked amazing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Good job. Yes. Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> but 
So now, and, and another point that actually you mentioned that I wanted to make is because you may have to adjust to lifestyle changes as far as driving and things like that. So I actually, in Qatar, got a car pretty quickly as well. I have always driven. That's what I'm used to. And there was some adjustment to getting used to the crazy drivers, but basically you just have to become a crazy driver also. And so a very aggressive driver, I'll say. And and so I, I picked that up while I was living there. But now that I'm in Saudi, I have not driven since I've been here. And it really is cramping my style. But it makes kind of more sense for me not to have a car right now. Uh, well, well, I considered getting a car before uh, the pandemic. And then the pandemic came and we were all shut down, locked down at home anyway. So there was no sense in having a car. Then by the time we came out of the pandemic and I was starting to rethink how long I was going to be here and didn't want to have to deal with having to dispose of a car when I left. But I'll say that it has... One of the reasons I think that I never connected really with Riyadh is because I'm not driving. So I mm-hmm. can't go and explore like I like to do in Qatar. I used to do that all the time. Hop in the car, you find all kinds of new places, new areas, or you know, you just happen to get lost because you're going <laughs> to get lost there and you find your way around. And um, so here, I don't know where anything is because when you hire a car, you go A to B. <laughs> That's it. You're not trying to, you know, slow down and, and, oh, this place looks interesting. Let's stop there. No, (laughs) because we have Uber. I mean, you can get a private driver and I've done that before, but basically Uber will take you to your destination. And so there is no exploring whatsoever. That's right. That's right. It's something I I actually really don't like about not having a car. It's, It's not me. But there are some times when it is convenient. So when there's traffic, if you have to find parking, it's nice to get dropped off at the front door. You have somebody to help you with your packages. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. even even being back stateside, I'm very flexible on having a car. In fact, living overseas has changed my whole mindset about having a car. If I don't, I would love a car service um, even now. And so an like, I don't really care. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know you want that. Yes, I tried to bring my nanny back, and the whole administration messed it up for me. But whatever, really? <laughs> I'm over it. Okay. Yes. Yes, everything was all in the works, um, but we came back right around 2018, and they start shutting the borders down for various, oh, yeah. um, you know, yes. visas and that that sort of thing. So, mm. um, so it was unfortunate, but yeah, That's she was kind of slated to come here for a few years to help us with our transition. Oh, I know but, she was excited too. Where was she from? Uh, Philippines. Yes, yeah. she was really excited, and we were excited for her um, yes. because it would have given her an opportunity to go to school and do sure. some things. She's yeah. a really smart girl, and uh, so yeah, it was a uh, it was it was tough. Too it was bad. Tough. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. First world yeah. problems. <laughs> yeah, well, tell so me that is complain. true. Yes. So mm-hmm. let's talk about this a little bit further. Then, since you've started to talk about um, repatriation. So your transition, well, for one thing, you said your husband's contract was for three years, but you ended up there, you said 2010 to 2018? Correct, correct. Um, So um, right around the three-year mark, it was renewed another two years. And then, you know, and then it just kept renewing, right? (laughs) So, So, yeah, at one point we thought we were coming home around year five. I even came home and started looking 
for houses and stuff. And then he called like a week later. It was like, oh, okay, never mind. They just renewed me again. <laughs> never mind. I'm sure you know so, that's how it how it works. Yes, I do know how quickly it can change. Well, what made you actually return back home? Because oil uh, took a turn. So the uh, so Qatar was because my husband worked for a national oil company and not for one of the American companies as an as a um, secunde. So he worked for uh, Qatar Gas. And so they were uh, downsizing their budgets. And, you know, Americans are, you know, you can get pricey or they feel like Americans are pricey. <laughs> Yes. On family status, yeah. um, a lot of the British sure. uh, come there with with no family, and so they become a little bit more inexpensive. Right. Um, so it's easier for them to get, you know, some British, you know, employees instead of this American with schooling and housing and all the other. So things. let's talk about that for people that might not know. Then, because you're talking specifically about packages that come mm-hmm. with contracts in the Middle East specifically. And um, so with the family, so I'm, I'm single. So for me, of course, um, generally, we'll say, not always, but generally a contract in the Middle East is going to include not only your salary, your monthly salary, because everybody gets paid monthly. It will include a housing allowance. It will include um, a transportation allowance, maybe, probably, or they provide you with some sort of transportation. It will generally include flights back home. So for me, every year. So that's in your contract that at least on an annual basis that they will pay for one round trip ticket for you to go home. So of course, it depends on your contract and whether that's an economy class ticket or if it's business or first class ticket. But still, that's a... um, included. Of course, you also get medical. So your medical uh, insurance is paid. You do not even contribute to that. Um, it's a tax-free. Um, there's no income tax in the Middle East. So that's a benefit in the Middle East also. And then uh, Shay, so for you, because I'm talking as a single person, mm-hmm. that's pretty much what my benefits were. So then as a family, then what else would be included in the family package? Yeah, so I even recruited there as well. So I got really familiar with the family packages. And so it's very similar to yours. The only thing um, that you're missing is the, you know, the the spouse and, you know, kids portion, right? So right. you get the housing, you know, get your monthly, you get your housing. But we didn't get an allowance because we actually received housing, right? So we didn't get a housing allowance because we received a house instead. Yes. So in lieu of, Right. So we lived in um, uh, corporate, I would say corporate living, you know, um, corporate compound. And um, and then you don't pay anything, basically. So just to be clear, you don't pay any utilities. You live literally there for free. Um, and your accommodations are based on your family size or your or your ranking. So like uh, so our compound was for senior management. And then other people, if you were um, a, had a different role, then you would live in a different compound. And you you saw that a lot around the city, where they would kind of segregate people. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but certain people lived in certain compounds. Um, and then yes, you get the travel allowance um, to go home for every person. And um, when we first when we first arrived in Doha, um, what was standard 
with all the oil companies was receiving an actual receiving actual flights, right? They would actually buy your flight for you. So our first few years, when we would go home, we would get business class flights because my husband's in management. We get business class flights for everyone. And then we would upgrade to first class. We're like really excited, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually um, it became a trend, I would say, or probably around four or five, year four or five, it became a trend for them, to, for you to get the allowance. So they, know that, they knew that people really wanted cash. So they would give you the equivalent of that. So but my husband is a finance person. So, so he's like, oh, your first class days are so over. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So he's like, no, we're doing coach and we're going to pocket all that money. So, um, right. so needless to say, um, so it was either you get, you received a flight or you received um, a, a f- the equivalent to a flight to go home. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what else did you receive? You would. The, uh, um, schooling. Schooling, yes. So you yes. get schooling for your children. Um, cut your gas specifically, um, because I worked for Maersk and I worked for IBM. So I can't say that they all did this. But uh, cut your gas only paid for the school of your nationality. Okay. So if we were Canadian, then my child would have to go to their Canadian school. Since we were American, then we went to the American school. So when we first when we first arrived, there was no other flavors of the American programs. It was only the American School of Doha. So that's where my son went because I was actually interested in him learning Arabic, and I wanted him to go to another school, Park House, first because they mm-hmm. had Arabic immersion, and just to have that as his base. Um, but you know, the the company denied our, you know, the opportunity. They were like, "No, you're American. You have to go here." We we love the American school. So there was, there was not a problem with that at all. Um, but you did receive your free education, which is equivalent to uh, private schooling. And I would say elite private schooling, not just a random private school. I would say, you know, really nice uh, private schooling. They give you specialists and, you know, coaches and that sort of thing for all your kids, needing any type of accommodation, if that's what, mm-hmm. you know, your kids needed at the time. Um, and so, yeah, and there's a community around there as well. Now, I will say this also, as far as tuition is concerned, is, and I don't know, each country, each company is different because a lot of them will give you an allowance. So it sounds like your company paid full tuition. Some people, their company will pay part of the tuition. They give them a certain amount. And if the school that you select has a tuition that exceeds that amount, that comes out of pocket. So it's not always fully paid, but probably mostly paid for the most part than for private school. Definitely. And I would say that might be, you know, there might be variations based on industry. It, energy pays, you know, has a standard of what they pay. In energy, you would find that they will pay 100% tuition, right? Okay. And then um, I would say if you were in healthcare, there was usually a stipend. Or if you were in aviation or if you were in um, Qatar Airways, then you would only get 100% you know, if you were, you know, at this level and, you know, that sort of thing. So you find that there were industry standards in education. I think they did something different as well. So you would find different players. Depending on your level as well on how much they will contribute. So one other thing that neither one of us discussed because we talked about housing. Um, So I stayed in temporary housing far longer than I wanted to and should have (laughs) before I got my permanent housing. But permanent housing 
may not come with furnishing furnishings. So yours, you were saying, did not come with furniture, but uh, so often an employer will give you a furniture allowance as well. So correct. Okay. So I just yeah. So we did. We excuse there. me. Yeah, we did get a furniture allowance, but it's it it was it was really funny. Well, we call it a laughable furniture allowance, just because it didn't meet the. Uh, you know, I would say the, the, the cost of living standard. When we, when we saw the, uh, the furniture allowance, we're like, yay, we get <laughs> look at our furniture allowance. <laughs> then you and get there, you you're like, oh, stuff. wait a minute. Can I only buy a bed with that? <laughs> yeah. I can only buy a sofa with that. So, yeah. Well, Doha, uh, yeah. And you probably ended up where all of the expats end up, Ikea. Everybody ends had, up with, like, Ikea furniture. We had no Ikea then. It would have been just fine if we had Ikea. There was no Ikea then. There was only Home Center. Oh, uh, Homes yeah. or oh, Us. No. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, the options were very slim. Yeah, Everything Ikea came from China. Lifesaver. <laughs> Everything was made or from China. Or you get the really anything. heavy traditional Arabic yes. furniture, right? Yes. That like yes. gold trim, you know, kind of, you know, big. <laughs> So yeah, I can see with that IKEA the pickings would be slim or like you said, really expensive because those stores with that Arab that traditional Arabic furniture is not cheap. So everything was really expensive and just low yeah. quality. You know, it, yeah, it or, looked good. Or low quality. Yes. Right. I mean, it I looked know. good, but then you're mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness. So to really to pay, because yeah. I don't know if you were you that was the one there? Like so yes, that's where you I have like to go. That store. Okay, yeah, but so they, you would have to go to the cheap. one, yeah, exactly, yeah, right? Nice. <laughs> so like I could go, I go and get like some accessories there, <laughs> not my full <laughs> furnishings. <laughs> so there was another uh, place that was kind of similar to the one. There was only one in city center. We ended up getting our sofa from there. Um, so you have to be really creative because. You know, if you really wanted, you know, good quality stuff and something that's going to last, then yeah. you did have to pray, you know, pretty penny. Yeah. So, but you know what? Also, you have to realize that you're an expat. So, I mean, you could have a long term plan there and it might make sense to really make the investment, but we really are a really transient group of people. So, you don't want to spend a lot of money on that stuff because you will not get the return. When you leave, people basically want you to give you their stuff. So, you know, you might get a little bit of that money back, but it's you could take it as an L. So I saw I actually decided when I left Qatar, my plan at the time was go, was to go to Dubai. I had a, an offer at the time that ended up falling through. So I put my stuff in storage. I had decided to keep everything that I bought in Qatar because I knew that I was going to end up having to basically give it away there and then turn around and go to Dubai to Ikea and buy the same stuff again. So I'm like, let me just ship this stuff. It'll save me the time and the hassle, if nothing else, to just ship it. So then when I ended up not going to Dubai, I put my stuff in storage for like uh, like a year and a half. It was ridiculous. And then I got my stuff here in Saudi the week before lockdown. So <laughs> wow, God, because it would have been awful for me to not have my stuff before lockdown. So now I'm in the in the position where I'm leaving Saudi and now I have to sell the stuff. So you guys can't see my place right now, but it's in shambles because I have pulled out everything. I've put stickers on it. So I'm going to have my first sale this weekend. Wish me luck. But wow. 
yeah, it's time to start, you know, getting rid of the stuff. So that's the thing, you know, you don't want to get too attached to your things because you, you're going to have to get rid of them sooner or later and you're not going to make any any profit off of it for sure. So don't overspend. Well, we is, were, is well, key. yeah, I would say that we probably, we did the opposite. We bought good quality stuff and good we did because we had it the entire time that we that we were there. And my daughter's bed was my son's bed that we still have. And my son's okay. bed, I think I bought at the one years ago in sale. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, so that he still has his bed. So we still okay. have some of our, um, oh, that's uh, good. some of our you things. You brought some stuff back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just well, classic and things, then you know. Your company. So talking about another benefit is that I'm assuming that they helped you to repatriate and brought that stuff back to the States for you. It doesn't make sense for most people. I'm like, that's not in my contract. So I can't take any of this stuff with me if I wanted to. Anything I take home, I have to pay for it. So it has to be something I really, really want. (laughs) Yeah, shipping is expensive for sure. And then you want to take things back that are, you know, relics or, you know, really great pieces that you picked up. And so mm-hmm. you, uh, we did have to stay within, you know, a kind of confined weight limit <laughs> to right. make sure. But moving a family of four uh, with all your stuff um, is expensive for sure. Well, for one thing, I know that we mentioned in your bio that you did become employed while you were in Doha. So at one point you were a stay-at-home mom, but then you did start to work. Um, so how was it easy for you as a trailing spouse? That's what that's what she's known as an expat community, <laughs> not the person yes. that gets hired to move abroad, but the, the spouse. So it's not always a wife. It's a lot of trailing spouses or husbands. That's so right. how was it finding opportunities then as a trailing spouse? Because sometimes there's visa issues and things with employers with trying to hire the, the spouse. Now, uh, it was, I would say my initial answer to that, it was very unexpected. I never expected to work internationally, never by any, by any thoughts. I didn't even know it was an option for me. Um, I just happened to go to lunch with Scott one day. He was at a conference. He was like, why don't you come down? Yeah, I'm sorry. Forgive me. (laughs) My husband, (laughs) just some random person. Um, (laughs) um, So my husband, Scott was at a, um, a conference, an energy conference, and it was like several days. He was like, hey, you know, you should come come by and we'll have lunch during my break time. And I did. And we went to the exhibit area and there were so many companies there. And I was just really, from my recruiting background, it looks like, you know, a recruiting fair that, that I would have helped put together. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is you know, but of course, more grandiose, you know, Doha does nothing small. (laughs) So um, it was amazing uh, platforms and spaces. And I was like, so floored. And I ended up having a just a very casual conversation with an American lady at the BP booth, who she, she and I just struck up a conversation because she was in normal traditional clothing. <laughs> and I was too. <laughs> so, so we were just chatting and she, and she was telling me about BP trying to uh, gain, you know, a presence in Doha. They was, they, they were in the region, but not um, in the city. We shared information and she says, you know, please send me your resume. If we come here, 
you know, maybe we, we would be looking for some Western talent as well. And so while I was there, I was like, well, let's see who else is looking for Western talent. <laughs> just <laughs> from just from my curiosity. I mean, I'm, I'm in HR, sure. so I'm just right. interested in careers altogether. And uh, I got I gathered some uh, cards. And then when I went home the next day, I looked, you know, up all the oil companies that were there. And a few of them had um, talent acquisition advisors or specialists, which is, you know, basically a, a traditional role that I would be applying for. Sure. And I applied for Maersk and then I interviewed and they hired me simply. <laughs> um, and it was, again, so unexpected. I enjoyed it uh, very much. Maersk um, is a Danish oil company that was had a huge presence there um, around the time that you arrived. Um, around 2014, 2015, they end up selling their um, um, their interest uh, to Total, and so now they're no no longer. But needless to say, I worked for them for a few years, and then uh, when my contract ended, um, I thought we were going home. Honestly, so we left. <laughs> I, I resigned from my role. I went home. Scott says, "No, we're not. We're 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 coming back." Uh, I came back, and then um, I just happened to get a phone call from IBM, and they had called me before when I was at Maersk. I was like, "Okay, well, we'll have a conversation. We'll see." And they were doing something different. I was really interested in that, so they were working on a Hamid doing a um, like an on-site recruitment for a huge ramp up at Hamid Hospital, and so that was an amazing opportunity as well. Um, and so I, I worked there for another few years. So now I would like our listeners to know that Shay is one of the authors in my upcoming book, Flipping the Script, Yay! The Career Woman's Guide to Living and Loving Life Abroad. And so Shay, if you, so you guys will hear more about Shay from Shay in the book. <laughs> in my own words. Yes, you will hear about her in her own words, some more wisdom that she has to share. So is this your first book, Shay? It is, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. So thank you for the privilege and the opportunity, for sure. You're welcome. Now, why was it important for you to be a part of this collaboration? Honestly, I really enjoy my eight and a half years living internationally. And that's the most consistent question I get from people that know me or just meeting me is about my experience. And so on, and I love to talk about it at any given time and I'm doing it with enthusiasm because I loved it. Uh, and so this kind of gives me an opportunity to share with everyone. Um, and so that I don't know about it. And there's so many gems and things you can tell people about the international experience uh, to really change people's mindset. Cause I've always got a lot of, how did you do that? Why did you do that? Wasn't, you know, weren't you afraid and couldn't your husband just go there and you stay here and come back and forth and why did you have to move? And, and it's just like, you know, I'm so grateful and I loved being there and having the opportunity that just kind of want to change a lot of the mis you know misconceptions of living internationally, even living in the Middle East. It wasn't what you see on the news, and people would hear things and they would send me an email and ask me if I am safe, and I would constantly say, "I mean, actually, the safest country in the world." <laughs> Literally, <laughs> literally, there's only <laughs> one country safer. That was Singapore. And I would think that was pretty consistent the entire eight years we were there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and we could leave our doors open and no one was going to do anything. We could go to bed at night with our doors wide open. The only thing that's going to come in is a cat or a kid yeah. looking to play well, with my son. <laughs> <laughs> so um, literally, it's not what it appears or what you see on the news. And so I would say a combination of my joy and you just really understanding what it's like for sure. Uh, that's why I really wanted to be a part of it. And uh, so thank you again for the invitation and the, you know, um, um, the permission to be a part of it. <laughs> thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being a part of it. Absolutely. So we won't give everything away because I actually do have some more questions for you, but <laughs> we're going to let them read in the book. So let's talk about now that you're home, what other projects are you currently working on then? Well, I do, you know, I, you know, besides being a mom and a wife, <laughs> uh, that you can definitely keep you busy. Um, I am full-time employed working as a recruiting manager right now. Um, but I, I have started a podcast since returning. Um, which is a passion project of mine that's actually going a lot better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, I won an award in 2021 that I'll hold actually all two years. I wish I would have uh, showed you. Uh, they sent me a um, uh, an actual award, a plaque, just okay. in, the, in the that I didn't even know they were going to send to me. I thought I'd just get a title, <laughs> but I actually got a physical award, which is really cool. Um, okay. And so I'm working on season three. Um, since then, I've also been doing some public speaking about careers and just really uh, motivating people to, you know, follow their dreams and to follow their passions. So those are kind of uh, what the things I'm working on. And also working on this book project with you is really exciting as well. Um, I'm already finished with all the things I need to do for it. But basically, uh, we're looking forward to the release for sure. Yes. So the book or the the uh, podcast is called Cool Careers, and we will have your contact information. I'll have you share that in a moment. The book will be launched in June 2022. A little bit yeah. off schedule, but we're all good. You can't plan everything. <laughs> everything happens for a reason, for sure. You're right. In, in all, <laughs> all in good time. So we have that coming soon. And then also... So and and you also do some coaching, correct? Yes, yes. I'm always willing to coach and give um, you know advice to anyone trying to grow, sustain, or even transition to various careers. It's really important. That's what I've done. Um, I do coaching, although I don't consider myself a coach. There are people that are receive certifications and go to school specifically to give to be a coach. I am a practitioner uh, of recruiting. And so I'm giving you sound uh, market advice that are traditional to what it takes, what it takes to, to be hired and retained in this crazy market right now. But it's a great market and it's such a great market for anyone to follow whatever passions that they're looking for. So yes, please reach out. Awesome. Okay, so we will give them your contact information. But before we do that, last Final advice for women looking to move abroad. I would say find a location, get you a top list of where you want to go. I mean, maybe you already have a place you go, but find your community. And that goes to what you were saying first, Michelle, is find your community, find a, a, a Facebook group, 
or some type of group where you can get some information so you can be armed with all of the things you need to do and really and don't do, right? Um, I would say that's the biggest piece and just try to find as much information as possible. Also find out about, you know, local traditional things, look for places to learn and grow and learn about, you know, emerging immersing themselves in the culture, like for sure. I definitely highly, you know, recommend that. It's finding your community and doing as they do when you arrive. It's so much fun. It opens up your your mind. It's so different from living in the U.S. We're so American trained. I mean, that's the only way you know to think. But when you kind of pick up someone else, uh, someone else's way of living and lifestyle, um, and that's what I really liked about living internationally is meeting so many different women and every person lived differently. You know, the English and the Australians and there's different mindsets. And you kind of pick up these little nuggets from all over the world, from the East and the West, you know, and it's, it's just a really good opportunity for us to kind of change how we how we how we live, because really, at the end of the day, we just want to be happy. Everyone yes. wants to be happy. Yes. So if you can find a way to do that, um, and I think uh, the American way kind of stifles if we're speaking about careers, sometimes we're stifled because we're only focused on our career. And it is a part of our DNA and a part of us who makes us is what we do. And I don't think any other country really feels that way. Other people from other places feel that way. It right. it starts another it, it starts from their family and who they are as a person and what they like to do outside of work and then they do those things right so anyway i would say find a community immerse yourself (laughs) and enjoy yourself yeah i would say do those top three things great advice okay so now where would our listeners be able to find you shay first for the podcast Okay, so it's Cool Careers Podcast. Um, I am streaming on all platforms. also have a website, um, and, I, and I'm also on YouTube as well. So um, Cool Careers Podcast on YouTube. I'm basically Cool Careers Podcast everywhere. Um, IG, uh, Facebook, um, Twitter, I'm everywhere. LinkedIn is where my biggest following is, which makes sense because it's career-based. Um, and then, of course, I have my website, coolcareerspodcast.com. You can reach out to me there or anywhere on social media. Um, and I also have a contact, you know, contact button on my website, so you can always send me a, a message there. Yeah, every platform. I'm on Spotify. When I am say I'm streaming on all platforms, it means like iHeart. Spotify, Apple, you know, I have ShayleeHornsby.com and CoolCareersPodcast.com. Thank you for sharing with us, Shay. Thank you for inviting me. I love it. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flipping the Script. If you like what you have heard, please make sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Also, I would appreciate it if you would write a review and share with your friends. And I want to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line and let me know what you thought about this week's episode or to suggest any future topics that you would like for me to explore. Or you can just stop by and say hello. You can reach me at flippingthescript.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at flippingthescript. Want to continue the discussion? I also have a private group for ladies only on Facebook. 
I look forward to hearing from you. Bye for now. With nothing to scrap, so you'll find